Girlfriends, episode number 239, How Mary's Magnificat Can Change Your Life with Sonia Corbett. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, my guest is Sonia Corbett and we are talking about Mary's Magnificat. Can't wait to share this conversation with you. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Oh my goodness, are you back in the swing of things? Are you back to school? Are your kids in school? What's going on? You know, I did that episode a while back, several weeks ago now, about determining whether or not homeschooling is the right fit for you. And I've heard from so many of you who are really struggling with that decision, struggling maybe even with that decision being thrust upon you and not being sure it's the right fit for you, for your kid, for your family. And yet it's the only option that's available at the moment, some form of homeschooling, some form of remote learning, whether you like it or not. I record these ahead of time, but by the time this episode airs, my kids will be on the verge of going back to school. My two high schoolers, um, who are both seniors this year, will be doing a hybrid version of in-school and at-home school. So wishing you all the best. I'm going to be praying for you guys in the coming weeks. I'm going to be praying for everybody who listens to the Girlfriends Podcast. So if you're listening right now, know that you've been prayed for. Specifically, I'm praying for our families' transitions into this new school year, this kind of unprecedented weirdness, the different ways that we're navigating, different ways of learning, and the kind of discomfort that many of us are feeling as we're adapting to new ways of learning, new ways of running our family lives, um, new routines that maybe we hope are not forever, but kind of worried that they might be at least for the time that we can see ahead to. So know that I am praying for you through all of that. And if you're struggling with that in any way, you are not alone. I am telling you that I am hearing from people from all different walks of life who are very much struggling with this time of a different way of interacting, whether it's a different way of working or a different way of having your kids go to school, different way of perhaps your your spouse working or different ways that you're communicating with other people at your parish and your community. We're all still struggling inside of that. And I think it's important to give yourself space, give yourself the time that you need to adjust to that, especially as we're kind of going into this transition to a different time of year new routines, new schedules, new ways of interacting together as a family, new routines inside of your family life. So know that I'm praying for you and then give yourself grace, give yourself a little bit of time, a little bit of space as you're adjusting to that. But this week, I'm excited to share with you a recent conversation that I had with my good friend, an author, a speaker, a wife, a mom, a podcaster, Sonia Corbett. I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit more of her bio at the start of this conversation, but mostly I'm just excited to share with you about her book, Exalted, and all the great work that she is doing as the Bible study evangelista. So can't wait to share this conversation with you. I'm not going to put it off anymore. Here we go. Take a listen. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to Girlfriends. I have a special guest joining me here today. I'm super excited to be welcoming Sonia Corbett back to Girlfriends. Sonia makes a Bible study spinach taste like cake. I love that phrase, and it's so true. She's a Catholic scripture teacher with a storyteller's gift, a warrior's heart, a poet's pen, and a tongue of fire. Her Love the Word initiative and other Bible study media create space for busy Christians to hear and experience God as they love and lift all he has given them. Welcome, Sonia. I'm thrilled you're joining me here on Girlfriends. Thank you, Danielle. I've been very excited. Yes. Thrilled to have you come on and share a little bit, especially about your book, Exalted, the subtitle of which is How the Power of the Magnificat Can Transform Us. This is super intriguing. I know people are going to want to hear more about this, but before we dive in, maybe just share with people who may not be familiar with you, with your work, a little bit of your background and how you came into this Bible study biz. All right. So I am a convert from the Southern Baptist faith of... Gosh, it's been almost 15 years now. Wow. And yeah, so I started, I mean, you know, as a Baptist, we didn't have sacraments. So the Mm -hmm. only way we could really get in touch with God was through the Bible. That was the only way we knew. And so I had to kind of, I mean, it was a lot of work to even try to begin a habit in the scriptures because I didn't, you know, I was working a full-time job. I didn't have kids then, but I'm Mm -hmm. not a morning person either. So (laughs) I had a hard time getting up and doing it. But, but I knew if, if I knew anything, if I wanted anything, it was really just to make God proud of me. And so I, I tried, I tried getting Mm -hmm. up early in the mornings. And, and so I eventually developed a habit. And as I did that, I had my mentor, actually, she sort of coached me through some of that. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to co-teach with her a study on the book of Acts. And we got about, I'd say probably three weeks into it. And she just looked at me one day and she said, you know, I really think you're supposed to teach this by yourself. Wow. And yeah, I mean, and I thought it was, it, it was strange for two reasons. One, because I had sort of had the same feeling, but it was really strange because I didn't know anything about anything. And so <laughs> it was it was really, you know, I, I was I was excited, but at the same time I was very nervous about it because I, you know, I, I didn't feel like I knew enough to to teach something. And right. but she, you know, she sort of took me by the hand and, and she continued to go to the classes. But what that did for me was it awakened this voracious hunger for everything I found in the Bible. And it gave me an outlet to share all the cool stuff I found. You know, I'm kind of geeky when it comes to that stuff. And and the more I found and the more I studied, the more I wanted to. And it just really wow. took off from there. And then I started uh, receiving invitations to teach in other churches. And then it just sort of snowballed. So that's wow. kind of how I got started. And then as, as I came... As I began to question some things, uh, I went through a couple of church splits. And as I began to question some things, I was very nervous about coming into the Catholic Church because I I just assumed that there wouldn't be a place for me to be able to use those gifts. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was, I felt I was turning my back really on what God had called me to do in a sense, but, right. but it was such a conflict for me too, because I also, I could tell, I knew that he was calling me into the church. And so it was very difficult to reconcile those two things. You know, I know he's called me to do this, but there's not going to be a place for it. 
even though I know I'm supposed to be there. So right. when I came into the church, it, it just, I, I immediately, my pastor made me the um, religious education director at our parish to the chagrin of everyone else there. <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing. Oh my gosh. No, I, I really, it was, a, it was a terrible mess. But, um, but what that did was it showed me that there was a place in the Catholic church. And so mm-hmm. I kind of jumped in. I, I could see that there was a huge gap at that time. And so I jumped in and I, I started writing um, studies for my new Catholic brothers and sisters. And, and I felt like a little pig in a mud puddle. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all enjoying the benefits of that. So people, you can go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com. We'll have that linked up in the show notes to see more about what Sonia shares in her Bible studies, retreats, podcast, TV show, books. I mean, you are a girl on fire. I love everything that you're sharing. And God obviously was planting those seeds in your heart for, for this. Who could have known? Who could have known for real? <laughs> Oh, it's a beautiful story. I love it. And um, I especially love what you share about Mary. So of course, being a convert to the Catholic faith, what was your relationship like with Mary going in? Was that something that was an obstacle for you at all? I did not have any relationship with Mary, nor did I want one. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't understand anything about that. I, I had it with my head. I understood that she's the icon of the whole church. And what's true about Mary is true of the church. And by extension, each of our souls, I got that part, you know. But as far as, you know, kind of having this relationship with her, I didn't see the need for it. Right. To be perfectly honest. But I went to a Lenten penance service or it might have been Advent. I don't know. But it was a penance service. And my bishop at the time, I went to him and for confession. And as part of my penance, he said to me, I will never forget the sentence. I mean, it still rings in my ears. He said, he's in fact, he's he's gone now. He's he died several years ago. But I still remember this. He said, the measure of your Catholicism is the measure of your relationship to Mary. Wow. And I just, I mean, I was, first of all, that irritated me. But secondly, (laughs) I was a little bit offended. You know, I Mm -hmm. thought that's not what I'm here for, Bishop. (laughs) I didn't ask about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was not what I was asking or what I was, you know, but it stuck, you know, it was Mm -hmm. one of those things that it sort of stuck. And I went through a lot to come into the Catholic church. I I mean, I, I lost friends. I thought I was gonna end up divorced. I felt I was turning my back on, you know, being able to use my gifts, just all of these things sort of, I call it a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go through all of that to be half a Catholic. Right. And so when he said that, I I thought, well, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. You know? And so my style has always just sort of been to just say what I really think and feel And so I did it with her. I just said, look, I think it's weird. I think all of this is so weird. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But if you're willing to teach me, then I'm willing to learn, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I've just sort of left the door hanging wide open because I I didn't know what to expect. I didn't didn't really want anything, to be honest. I just didn't want to be half a Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) And so you know how that works. She just sort of kind of gathered me in under her mantle. That's all she needed. Yes, that's all she needed. And that's how, really, that's how my last two books came about. They were, they're both Marian books, one on Love the Word, which she sort of led me through her own prayer um, 
discipline, her mm-hmm. own prayer practice. And then as I kind of got a hold of that, I thought, well, about the only thing we have in the scriptures that comes directly from her is her Magnificat. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do a podcast on it because my podcast listeners are my guinea pigs. And I thought, well, <laughs> you know, they can learn with me. And so I did a line by line study and that's how Exalted came to be. And wow. what I learned from her was completely life-changing. It really was. All right. So let's talk about that because there there might be a lifelong Catholic even who's listening, who's never really stepped into that relationship with Mary. Like you said, don't really feel a need for it, right? And I've had people say similar things to me, like, I don't, why do I need Mary, you know? Um, so what might you say to somebody like that? And, and maybe a, a, tell us a little bit about going line by line through the Magnificat and how that was life-changing for you and what you hope other people will get out of this book. Well, one of the very first things I found as I began that series on the Magnificat was a quote by Columbia, uh, Columbus, Columbia, I don't know, Marmion. Okay. Um, he said, he said, how can you say you have no need of Mary? Jesus needed her. Right. And it just like hit me right between the eyes. I thought, well, that's absolutely right. Right. I mean, I must need her. Right. Why would he be this example to us in all things except that? Right. Exactly. (laughs) And, and then I thought, what, what have I been missing? I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm naturally very nosy. And (laughs) the thought that I had been missing something that was very important, important enough for Jesus, you know, it just, it pushed me Mm -hmm. to really want to understand his relationship with her, the one that he wanted me to have with her. That's kind of what I felt. I felt like he was sort of inviting me to know her. And of course, she takes that sort of, she steps back and allows him to to do that. But at the same time, as she's teaching me about herself, she's obviously teaching me about him too. Right. So there's that relationship between the two of them that I sort of got let in on a little. But as as I began to kind of study, the very first thing I was struck by in researching her Magnificat was the way I could, I sensed and I felt and I knew that she was connecting with me on the really probably the only possible level, except for my motherhood, that she could have connected with me so deeply. And that's on the scriptures. Uh What floored me was how much Mary loves the scriptures. I would have never in a million years have thought or imagined that she would love the scriptures as much as I did. Mm -hmm. And that was the very first thing that I realized as I was looking at the Magnificat, because it's based on Old Testament scripture. Mm -hmm. So we've got the Song of Hannah, and we've got some of the Psalms, and then also the Song of Solomon. All of those are songs. The The word Psalm means song. Right. And so her song was sort of a she drew from the scriptures that she knew that she had in her heart that she had acclimated and that were part of her. And Mm -hmm. in her expression of praise to God, she was drawing on the scriptures. It floored me. Wow. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. And I love the idea that Mary is inviting us to something. She totally was. The lines of this prayer. So yes, let's talk a little bit about that because of course she's always inviting us into a deeper relationship with her son, right? She is. And I have the shivers now. (laughs) I do. I have the shivers because 
that's that was the sense that I had and that I was trying to communicate with the book. She mm-hmm. is inviting us to a relationship with the scriptures in which we can also know her and her son more deeply. Wow. That was the essence, really, of the very first part of what I got on that Magnificat. She was right. she was drawing us all. And I really believe that that's part of why I wanted so badly to understand her and to understand her Magnificat, mm-hmm. because I think she's doing that right now. I think that's part of what she's doing in the church right now is drawing all of us to a deeper knowledge of the scriptures. Oh, that's a beautiful thing to think about because, I mean, I've experienced that for sure inside of my own kind of dive into scripture myself and and kind of seeing Mary as that maybe original Bible study evangelista Yeah, (laughs) is is a really nice way of looking at it, right? Because she's our mom, right? And, you know, if if you're lucky to have a mom who introduces you to scripture, that's a beautiful thing in your earthly mother here. But every one of us has access to her as our heavenly mother, who's going to invite us in, hold our hand as we discover the beauty of scripture together. Yeah. And another thing that is so monumental really about that invitation is that her relationship with the Holy Spirit is so fertile Mm -hmm. that she can share the stuff she knows. You know, she can, she can share that intimacy that she has with the Holy Spirit with us as we're reading and studying the scriptures with her. Oh, I love that because, you know, that's something for sure that I I try to bring to my daily prayer is wanting so much to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And, and isn't Mary the, the perfect example of that, right? In not only in her Magnificat, but in her yes, in her fiat, in her openness and receptivity to the Holy Spirit. That's the model for every one of us. So who better than Mary to teach us how to do that? Yes, and she's so subtle and so gentle about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm like the flaming evangelista, <laughs> and she's more she she's more the slow glow. Mm-hmm. You know, she just she's she's warm and inviting, and yet very illuminating too. I, I don't I, I'm not yeah. going to do it justice. I know, but that no, was I the think- sense that I got. I got the sense that I was. I was embarking on something very, very important that she wanted all of us to enter into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what, you know, you describing that, I think that's very real. I think that's a very real thing that we experience when, well, when we read scripture and we read the descriptions of Mary, that the Magnificat stands out because like you said, it's the one time she like said something significant, right? Yeah. And all the other times we see, you know, Mary is keeping these things. She's treasuring these things in her heart, right? And it's very much uh, like you're describing that kind of glow, right? That kind of um, attractive force that she's just very gently present inside of the scriptures in that way that, you know, to some people, I think it might be off-putting, right? Because you're looking at it like, oh, so Mary's the ideal woman. That means she's passive, right? Or she's she's not active. But what what greater example do we need than this this beautiful Magnificat, where you can go through line by line and see her joyful proclamation of praise to God, right? So maybe talk a little bit about that and the ways in which Mary teaches us to give praise to God. 
Well, one of the things that struck me about the Magnificat is how the church emphasizes it in her daily liturgical prayer. Mm-hmm. The Magnificat is prayed every single night at Vespers. And it's, it is the only, except for the Canticle of Simeon, it's one of the only prayers that is prayed on a daily basis every single day. Wow. And so that struck me as an emphasis by the Holy Spirit. You better pay attention to this Magnificat, right? You know, there's something really important here. And so that, mm-hmm. because it seemed a little bit, um, not only the importance of it, but also there seemed to be a little secret in there, you know, like it mm-hmm. was, it was an emphasis, but not one that I had ever really, I hadn't really paid attention to that before. Right. And so as I began to study it, the main probably overarching thing out of all that she expresses through that, that Magnificat. I, I don't know about you, but I always just assumed it was something she, she sang or that she said, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really one of the very few times that she actually speaks in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it was important for that reason. And then I had the added importance of it being in the liturgical prayer of the church every day. Right. So I, I knew that it was very important. And, but I still was looking at it as something that Mary said. You know, mm-hmm. Mary said something she she wants to communicate to us. Right. But what I came away with, and this is really, this is the invitation she's really inviting us to through the scriptures. The Magnificat is not something that Mary said or that Mary prayed or that Mary sang. The Magnificat is Mary. Mary herself is the Magnificat. And she invites us to be a Magnificat too. Mary is the song. We are. And so she's inviting us. She shows us through her song, that Magnificat, she shows us what that means. And she starts out with exalting the Lord. You know, my, that's the very first word. Um, My soul magnifies the Lord. And I, I I was reading that and I thought, how, how can a creature magnify or make larger or make something seen as larger mm-hmm. than God. Right. I mean, you know, how could that even be? And yet, yeah. and yet what I what I saw was that Mary is the Magnificat by simply being everything that God made her to be, minus mm. sin. So she I mean, I don't know how everybody else thinks of her, but I I used to think that, you know, because the Bible talks about how God is looking to and fro over all the earth for those who who will love him and worship him. And so Mm -hmm. I just had in my mind that he was looking all over the earth, you know, in history past and in the future and in the present. And he's looking for the one woman who can be his mother. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't that way. Instead, there wasn't one. Right. <laughs> there wasn't a woman <laughs> that could be his mother. Mm-hmm. So he made her. Right. Made her for himself. So it wasn't something that she was in in herself. It was that he made her to be that thing. And that's yeah. what he does for each of us. He he made us to be who we are. And all we have to do is be who we are, minus the sin. Right. And in so doing, we are a magnificat. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. I've never heard it put quite that way before. So I love that. I love that idea. But, you know, there might be some people listening right now, Sonia, who are like, oh, okay. You know, like she, she was made perfect, you know, made to be the mother of God. That does not describe me. Um, but what, what might you say to encourage somebody who feels like they're, they can't quite live up to that being a Magnificat, that it feels so far out of reach? 
Well, I'll just share kind of my what happened for me because I was reading. I mean, I don't put a lot of stock in this kind of thing typically, but it struck me as so it just resonated so deeply. I was reading an account of a near death experience by um, a Christian man who mm-hmm. described heaven and he said that heaven was throbbing with this constant praise and that every being in heaven was singing this praise to God. Okay. And he said he didn't realize that this one being of light, he didn't realize this being was kneeling until it began to rise. He said all of heaven got silent and this being of light began to rise. And he said it rose and it rose and it rose and it rose. He said it was 10, 15, 20 stories high. It was that tall, that uh-huh. big. And he said, as it drew to its full height, it let out a single note. And that note went into God, who was on the throne, but was the throne, he said. Mm -hmm. And it went into God, and God received that note of praise from that being, and he sang it back to the, oh, it just absolutely makes me cry. Yeah, He received it, and then he sent it back to the being, and the being received it. It was an exchange of song between the being and God. Mm Mm-hmm which is what we see in the Song of Solomon. And we see that in the Magnificat as well. But what struck me was, he said, he said that all of heaven then began to sing praise and every being had its own song and every being contributed to the whole of the praise that was in heaven. And all of it went into God and God received each one, each one was different and each one had its own expression individually and God received each one. And then he, he sang it back to every single being. And as I was reading that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, Lord, that is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And I'm, I'm just, I'm bawling, you know, I'm reading this and I'm like, Lord, what's my song? You know? And, and I was just, I was so, I wanted, I wanted my own song. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted, I wanted to know what is my song, Lord? What, what am I going to sing to you? for eternity. And what, you know, what a beautiful prayer that is. Yes. And, and so I, I was just sort of bereft. I was like, I I want a song. And he said to me so clearly in that prayer, he said, Sonia, you are the song. Hmm. And I just, I mean, I thought, what (laughs) we, that's the thing. I don't know if you um, ever read, if, if any of your listeners have ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, of course, yeah. But when so when Aslan is creating Narnia, he sings. And the Bible yes. talks about how God created, he sang it, creation into being, and all of the angels were witnesses and they sang with him. So you have this this whole song idea, you know, the theme mm-hmm. of all of this. And when he said you are the song, it that's when I realized, oh my word, what Mary is showing us through her Magnificat is how to become that song. She right. shows us that God sang us into being as that song. And as we develop into that by simply being who we are in our duty and station in life Mm -hmm. with our personality and temperament in our time in history, in the nation that we live in, in the town that we live in, the parish that we are part of in our families and the interactions with all of those people, each of those things is becoming that Magnificat. Mm -hmm. And so all we have to do is do away with the sin, 
It really is that simple because sin is the only thing that can cloud the song. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I love that. And as you're describing that, that back and forth, that relationship, of course, you know, it's it's calling to mind that idea of what what we mean when we say my soul magnifies the Lord, right? It's reflecting his own glory yes. back to him. Which, the thing he made us for. Right. And it right. automatically, that's the thing. We think we have to do stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if we're driven you know, that type A thing, mm-hmm. we, we think we have to do something. Right. But Mary, that was what made Mary so powerful is that she didn't have any sort of preconceived idea of what was going to be that Magnificat. She just let God make her right, <laughs> and, and let him develop her and let him gift her in whatever way he wanted mm-hmm. and look at her. So beautiful what God can do, right? I I think that many women though struggle with just that that concept that they're that they're made good, right? That to 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 just accept that in your core identity that God made you good. You know, like I, I hear from women every day, and I'm sure you do too inside of your ministry, who just struggle with that basic truth. What what might you say to someone who's at that level of struggle right now? Well, I had that struggle. I have what I call a father wound, and it caused me to carry this burden of worthlessness. And I didn't know that's what it was. It came out as rage. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was a raging lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, you know, I had to, God really began to deal with me through the scriptures about that rage. Mm-hmm. And as he did so, he began to point out the root of it, which was the pain underneath that anger. And the pain originated in my relationship with my father, who was very critical. He was controlling. He was aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so I was afraid of him. And and I just determined nobody's ever going to do me that way ever again. Mm -hmm. And so all of my action, you know, was was a defense mechanism to keep people from being able to put me under their thumb. Mm -hmm. And when God began to really start pinpointing the root of it, that's when I started to realize And it wasn't until I started reading back some of the journaling that I was doing in prayer every day when I I said to him, I said, I feel so worthless. I had gone to a a funeral, um, my uncle's funeral on my dad's side, and my dad called me into his room. He wanted to talk to me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I was scared to death. My heart was beating about out of my chest. And I remember he, I don't know why we were in the bathroom, but he was sitting on the toilet seat was pushed down and he was sitting on the toilet and I was sitting on the edge of the the tub and he took my hands in his hands and he said, I just want to apologize to you for not coming to your wedding. He, hmm. he didn't come to my wedding. He didn't walk me down the aisle. Wow. And something about that, just something in me clicked into place, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I thought, wow, that's, that's cool. You know, and I accepted his apology and, you know, everything should have been fine, but I came home and I picked this enormous fight, the biggest probably fight we, my husband and I had ever had. And I couldn't figure out why, why was I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, and I was depressed and I had been that way for about a couple of weeks and I was really irritable and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I remember writing in my journal, I feel so worthless. Mm. And at the same time, I was doing a study on spiritual, physical, and mental wellness. And mm-hmm. there was a remark in there about how 
there are things called historical emotions. And when you experience a situation that is similar to something that you experienced a lot in, in your earlier life, it can cause, it can be a trigger. And so you'll, you'll begin to feel those same feelings, even though the situation is completely different. And I, mm-hmm. I was trying to feel backwards, you know, when did this start? And it right. started there. Oh. I, he, cause he told me, he said, I, I just, I, I'm sorry I didn't come, but I just knew you could have been somebody. And I thought you were, I thought you were getting married too young. Mm. And when I, when I remembered him saying that you could have been somebody, but you weren't right. Of course. That's the, unspoken that is what part. did it. Sure. And so I'm, I'm reading and I'm, I'm at the same time, I'm writing a study and I'm in Corinthians where Paul talks about being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he says, don't be yoked with Belial. And it was a capital B. And I, I always look up names because I know they mean stuff in the Bible. And, and when mm-hmm. I looked it up, it was actually two Hebrew words, belly and y'all. And together they mean worthless. Oh my gosh. And later in the scriptures, that became a proper name for Satan himself. Wow. And so I was being attacked. We are all attacked in this worthlessness area Mm -hmm. at the most fundamental place in our souls, that that place of worth and dignity. Mm -hmm. And Satan, that's an attack. Yeah. That's an attack. He himself is worthless, not us. Right. And I was like, wow, Lord, wow. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of, that's what I would say. There's no, Thomas Aquinas talks about the, about being how God mm-hmm. says I am who am God is the source of all being and mm-hmm. so everything that is exists because God loves it mm-hmm. so if we exist then we are loved there's never a time that we are not loved right. and he goes so far as to even say that God loves Satan he can't unlove something that he created from love right and that's why Satan continues to exist. So wow. if God can still love Satan because <laughs> Satan still exists, then surely he can love me. Right, right. Oh, that, that's just a beautiful way of looking at that kind of core identity issue that so many of us struggle with, that so many women are just burdened by. And I think you're so right to talk about that this is, this is Satan's, this it's is a lie. Satan's speak, right? It's the lie. It's the lie yep. that he speaks to us. And, you know, the flip side of it that I like to focus on, because this motivates me if, I, if I'm ever tempted in that direction, is why, why is he targeting us in that way? Because yeah. we, he knows. Because we're we, so wounded there. Exactly. Exactly. He knows that we're weak in that way. He's targeting us in that way. But, you know, but that's also, really what Mary's calling us to. Right. When I, when I talk about without, that. Yeah. Without sin, when I talk about without sin, the, the sin that was in my life, all that rage and aggression that I had, mm-hmm. that it was, it all came from that wound. Right. And so she, what she's saying is it's not necessarily sin that we do, although for me it was. Right. It's more, sometimes it's sin against us. Right. That we have oh, to work sure. through and forgive, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, such an important thing for so many of us to hear, so many of us to be reminded of that, that Mary is really speaking to us God's word, that we're, we're, we're created good and kind of inviting us into that through this Magnificat to become fully who God meant for us to be, because what a beautiful thing that is, what a powerful thing that is, what a positive, powerful force for the good that has the potential to be. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, we... 
and I fall into this myself all the time. You know, I would never say to another person the things that I say to myself. Oh, yeah. Never. Right. You know, and when I look in the mirror, I don't, I mean, I, I can far e- more easily see the beauty in another person than I can sometimes myself. Sure. And so we just have to, we have to, first of all, trust God's word that we, we are a song, we are a Magnificat Mm -hmm. and that's what we're becoming. But at the same time, we have to, we have to stop those lies ourselves. We have to reject that because it it is a lie. And that's what keeps us bound up in the sin and the, the unforgiveness and the worthlessness and the constriction, you know, we can't be everything that we were made to be because we're afraid. Right. And that's exactly what Satan's plan is, right? To keep us afraid, to keep us bound up in that way. And I love this invitation that we can hear inside of Mary's Magnificat to let loose those bonds. You know, before we have to wrap up here, I do want to allow you to just describe a little bit about what you do inside of Exalted. So you go through line by line in the book to kind of lead people on this sort of a a prayerful study of the Magnificat. Yes. So we go through, I mean, I, I could have spent 10 books, you know, on it. So mm-hmm. what I tried to do really was just pull out the highlights that struck me as I was studying and apply those to our lives now, you know, mm-hmm. because um, the things that she says, because they are from the Old Testament, sometimes they don't make a whole lot of sense to us, you know. So right. I, I give some of the history on what she means when she says those things. Um, my soul magnifies the Lord when she talks about how um, the strength of his arm and and how he lifts up the lowly and he um, how his, he has that special love for the poor, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. What is she really saying? And what is what does that mean for me? How am I poor? Where is God's strong arm in my life? You know, what is he, what is he trying to say to me here? Mm -hmm. And ultimately it really is because it's in the Bible. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I mean, she's speaking obviously, but the Holy Spirit is also speaking to us that invitation as well. And so that's what we did. We are what we do. We go through line by line and we're, we're looking for what the Holy Spirit is actually saying through those verses Right. And what we what we find is that this song, you know, has has been the invitation and the relationship that God is after with each of us from the very beginning, you know, from his very first humans all the way through the covenants in the Old Testament and on, you know, into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I mentioned, I think, in the book was um, Pope uh, John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Was he talked about how evil our times were, and of course, you know, we can look around and see that. <laughs> yes, but he said that because the times are so evil, more evil than they've ever been, that there will be greater saints made in our day and time than have ever lived. Wow. And I thought, holy moly, you know, I mean, because we have some really, really big saints, right? But if that's true, then that means that's a call to us. Exactly. That's very motivating and encouraging. Totally. Actually, right. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. So the book is Exalted, How the Power of the Magnificat Can Transform Us. Sonia, maybe just um, share with us where people can get more information about your work. You have all these different things going on, retreats, your podcast, you've got a television show now, but um, especially I want people to check out Exalted. Where can they find out more? Where are you active? 
So um, everything is on my website, BibleStudyEvangelista.com. The books okay. are on Amazon or at Ave Maria Press, or they can get them from me. Um, everything I do is Bible study based. And so whether it is the TV show or the podcast, or you know, we just did a series on social justice. I mean, everything I do is scripture based. Right. And so all of it is there on BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Oh, I love it. And I love your little tagline about making Bible study spinach taste <laughs> like cake because it's so true. Exactly what you do in the podcast and through everything that you share, that discipline that we all need, you make it easy. You help us break it down into bite-sized pieces. And before you know it, it's like cake. So I, I absolutely love the way that you share. And especially inside of this book, Exalted, How the Power of the Magnificat Can Transform Us. Sonia Corbett, thank you so much for coming on Girlfriends today. It's my privilege. Thank you, Danielle. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now, for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, 2nd Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I like to share a little bit of listener feedback. And this week, I'm going to share a question that I received by email from listener Sarah. Sarah writes, Hi, Danielle. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year, and I have read several of your books. Thank you for the work you do for Catholic moms. The question I have for you is this. How did you know when your family size was complete? My husband and I have five children, and the last four are all born within five and a half years. Our baby is 20 months old now, and we are starting to breathe again. It is that weird time where we almost have this guilt of being out of the survival stage for the most part, because we lived there for many years. This is obviously a personal and prayerful decision, but I thought I would ask you how you and your husband or other peers you know with large families made this decision. Of course, the world tells us that we already have enough, and why would we be crazy enough to have another child? But we know our God is not of this world. Thank you for your time and being the voice I hear as I fold laundry, make dinner, and am driving while listening to your podcast. Prayers for you and your family, Sarah. Okay, first of all, thank you for that, Sarah. Thank you for listening while you're doing all those things. I love thinking about all the things that women of the world are accomplishing while they're listening to the Girlfriends podcast. So thank you for bringing me along as you're folding laundry and making dinner and driving around. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your question too, because... This, you know, you're right. It's a deeply personal question and it's one that's going to look different for everybody, that kind of process of discerning this, but it is a common question and it is something that many people struggle with. Like, how do you decide that? How do you go from the kind of crazy nonstop baby every year, sounds like you were doing there for a little while, um, to take a breath and 
feel okay about that? Like, at what point do you not feel okay about that? How do you figure that part out? And you know what, there is, of course, no way I can tell you that there's no way I can answer that for you. And you already, I can tell know that inside of the way you asked that question. But um, just three different things I'll, I'll say, um, with regard to discerning this. First of all, make sure you're talking with your husband about this, because being open and honest with one another about the ways in which we're struggling, especially during the crazy busy times of family life and what you feel like you can or cannot take on right now with regard to another baby, with regard to growing your family. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you are perhaps struggling with depression or anxiety or just major stress levels that are you know, making you deeply unhappy, that's not what God wants for you, right? That's not God's plan for your family. And you can't be the best mom to the kids you already have if you're kind of in that survival mode that you're describing. And that doesn't mean it isn't very much sometimes part of God's plan that you feel in that survival mode, that we feel that level of discomfort sometimes in our family lives, that we are pushed to grow, that we're pushed to stretch. We are pushed to give more than perhaps we were planning to. All of that is very much within the range of normal. But be having these kinds of open and honest conversations with your husband about what your typical day looks like, how you're feeling day to day, where your energy levels are at, um, and what you feel like you can take on. And, you know, just be checking in with each other because the way you feel on Wednesday might look very different on Thursday. And certainly the way you feel month to month and then year to year is going to adapt and shift and change. So don't fall into that kind of one kind of mindset, like, okay, if you decide right now that you um, want to postpone having another baby, that doesn't mean forever. It, you don't have to make that decision right now. You can say, um, I'd rather not this month <laughs> and take it from there, right? That's part of the beauty of using natural family planning is it's the kind of decision that can adapt and change as your life adapts and changes, as what you feel capable of adapts and changes and um, your energy levels and your uh, mental health, your well-being, your financial status, all of these things come into factor. And, you know, then, of course, inviting your husband's feelings about all of these things as well, because as much as our fertility affects us in deeply personal ways, in ways that we experience uniquely as females, this obviously needs to be a decision that you are both on the same page about, whether you're deciding to um, be open and have another baby, if that's what God chooses to send you right now, or whether you're making that decision to postpone right now. Um, be on the same page about it. Understand each other's perspectives and have those open and honest conversations with your husband on an ongoing basis. Then the next person, for sure, that you need to be talking to about this is God. Have you brought this to your regular prayer time? I would really recommend that you do that. I recommend that every woman does this, not just about your fertility, but for sure about your fertility, but all the different things that affect our state in life and the different kinds of this decisions that we make that have an, a lasting impact on our state in life, on our vocation. So be bringing this to your, your prayer time. If you are at all struggling with it, if you're at all wondering about it, if you're feeling like perhaps this is something that, that God wants for you or doesn't want for you right now, whatever your inclination is, bring it to prayer time and ask God to clarify for you what his will is, where he's pushing you, where he's inviting you perhaps to grow deeper in relationship with him through putting that decision in his hands. And when I say that, I don't mean <laughs> necessarily just opening up to having all the babies God wants to send you, right? Of course, 
trusting God can very much involve postponing a pregnancy or having a greater space between pregnancies than you've previously had. All of that is within what God might be calling you toward, what what he has planned for you inside of your unique vocation, inside of your unique family life. And then finally, just this one little nudge that I have to say whenever we are talking about family size, whenever as Catholics we are talking about this, if you are at all doubting, wondering, feeling like, oh, maybe we could, maybe we should be open to having another baby, I just want to encourage you to err on the side of generosity. And that is not me saying, have all the babies you possibly can have. That is me saying, if you are waffling, if you are wondering, if you're questioning, then you know what? In our culture, in our world today, the problem is not that we are too open to life, that the problem is not that we are too generous with regard to our fertility, even inside of the Catholic Church, unfortunately. That is not what the issue is. And that is not where the pressure is inside of our culture, inside of our world today. So let me just be that little nudge toward generosity, if it at all possibly makes sense. And if it falls in line with your conversations with God, with your conversations with your husband and where you feel you are at this particular stage in your family life. So those are just my three little points that I would share with anybody who's struggling to discern those kinds of decisions. Of course, there is no one size, one way, one process of discerning fits all. But I think those are three helpful things to keep in mind as you're figuring that out for yourself. So I'm going to pray for you, Sarah. I'm going to pray for you and your family and um, whatever size family, whatever number of children God wants you to have. It might be that you're at that perfect number right now, and um, it might not be. But I'm going to pray for you to understand that, to know that, and to grow deeper in your relationship with God through your family life. And now that's all the time we have for today. But if you, like Sarah, have a question you'd like me to take up here on the podcast, please email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or connect with me on social media. I am Danielle Bean on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to connect with you in those places. Or if you just have a topic that you'd like me to take up on a future episode of Girlfriends, if you have an idea, if there's something that you're struggling with, if there's something you have a question about, or if there's something that you are discerning inside of your vocation in Catholic womanhood, I would love to hear from you. So again, send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com. And in the meantime, I just want to thank you for being part of today's show. I really appreciate the fact that you are a present member of this Girlfriends community just by showing up here. You are a valued and prayed for member of Girlfriends. Thank you so much for the gift that you are. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. Thank you.